Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. My name is Jeremy. Besides... We're back, baby. Got a stinker of an episode coming up. A stinker? <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Um, there's some fun stuff in here. But yeah, there's really nothing of uh, any uh, consequence. Yeah, uh, it's it kicks off here, though, with Excalibur, number 45. Uh, featuring the unearthly N-Men, proudly proclaiming that they have arrived. This is a great cover, and the cover, in my opinion, is the best thing about this issue. Okay. Although, yeah. the, the, you know, the, it's Alan Davis art, which is always fantastic. There was a lot of stuff that I did like, um, but I kind of glazed over it. <laughs> okay. I mean, I read the whole thing, but... Yeah, so it's it's the uh, TechNet folks um, dressed up in what is sort of like a knockoff of X Men uniforms, although it's the N Men, and we'll we'll find out what the N stands for uh, in the issue. Um, and it also says an old legend is revived, and of course it uh, well, I, I of course it is uh, based on the classic um, X Men um, giant sized X Men number one. Yes. Where the X-Men have been replaced by TechNet. Now, they didn't go so far as to put Excalibur in the background. It's just the N-Men bursting through uh, a blank page. So, But that's fine. Whatever. That makes sense, though, because technically they're not replacing Excalibur, but it doesn't matter. It would have been nice to have them in the background. It's fine. With the exception of Nightcrawler. Right. Yep. It's fine. It's good. Um... I got. I have to admit, I got a little confused here because um, the last issue of X Men we read ended with uh, Mojo, and we see basically the End Men. I assume that the End Men, well, the Technet guys in this first page uh, were were sitting in a Mojo theater. So my brain was all scrambled and broken. <laughs> I was like, "What is happening right now?" But they're not. It's basically Nightcrawler and TechNet. They're at a museum, if we recall from the last issue of Excalibur. Uh, there's some mysterious uh, thefts happening of various artifacts. And we've got this guy whose name I forgot, Micromax, um, who was getting mad at um, Phoenix and saying, like, you're in my way. And you guys are the thieves. Yes, there is an invisible thief. And Excalibur... Well, Phoenix attempted to capture it, but then this Micromax character was also there and blamed it on her. Right. So and now the same thing essentially happens again, but this time it's the entire uh, team of TechNet yep. that gets blamed for stealing it. Um, and we see them in their glory, Nightcrawler's TechNet. We get a nice uh, two-page spread of... Well, at least half of it, of the entire team going forward. We see Nightcrawler in his leg cast, which is kind of amusing. And his cane. Uh, everybody gets a name call. Waxworks, Joy Boy, Body Bag, Ring Toss, China Doll, Thug, Scatterbrain, and Pharaoh Squared. I feel like we keep adding characters. Cause I don't remember Ring Toss, but I'm sure. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> I'm, sure, or, I'm sure Ring Toss was there in the past. Probably. That'd be um, funny if every issue he just adds a new one. <laughs> and we have no idea, because we haven't really been doing a great job tracking. Maybe folks have been disappearing, too. 
<laughs> yeah, it's possible. <laughs> Uh, but so Nightcrawler's point here is he's like, we want to be able to stop these the or the, these thefts. Um, and, and I was an X-Man. Uh, so I was a part of a team and I would like you guys to be a team. So remember, as we practice, go out there and figure what's figure out what's happening as a team. And of course, TechNet kind of bumbling buffoons that they are do not act as a team. They all go one at a time, uh, and basically just cause a mess. And that's when Micromax shows up. And scolds Nightcrawler. I'm Necromax, but don't play innocent. Your bimbo team, oh, your bimbo teammate, your bimbo teammate Phoenix wrecked my last stakeout. Now you're here, and the thief's escaped again. You know, I started doing, I was trying to do a Sylvester Stallone, and I ended up doing a bad Sean Connery. Yeah. So, I don't know where I'm going with that. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> Micromax apparently can grow and shrink. I guess that makes sense based on his name. Uh, but we yeah, also he's very big. We also find out that he is a part of Fi Six, which Nightcrawler humorously says "fix," and he says "no." Fi Six. Nightcrawler wants to know what that is, and he and Micromax says that's classified, uh, and they move on. And he looks over at his various assortments of gadgets and sensor equipment and says, "Look." I got all this equipment that, that we're going to be able to use to figure this out. And Pharaoh Squared says, well, I don't think so, because all your cables are cut. Yeah, he says that his stuff will be able to detect anybody. And Nightcrawler points out that, well, it wasn't able to detect us. And that's when, is, is it Pharaoh Squared? I think so. So Pharaoh Squared jumps in and, and says, uh, all your wires are cut. Yeah. Pharaoh Squared has four arms. Okay. And has... This is Pharaoh Squared. He kind of reminds me of the guy from um, Never Ending Story who flew with a bat. Remember him? No, yeah, yeah. He flew with the bat. When's the last time you saw that movie? He flew with the bat. So you remember uh, Atreyu and his horse. uh, uh, What's the horse's name? Oh, man. I'm drawing a blank. He screams the horse's name when the horse is drowning in the swamp of despair. Anyways, uh, I haven't seen that movie in decades. Well, maybe it's because I have a kid. But uh, Atreyu meets up with weirdos. He meets up with like a um, like a proper a proper man who's riding on the back of a snail. Uh, and then there's this other kind of guy that looks like Pharaoh Squared um, that has a bat that he flies around on. I always wanted to rewatch it because I had a discussion with somebody, and I don't remember who, about how that losing the horse in the swamp of despair is a metaphor for struggling against depression. And I always wanted to rewatch that scene to see if that holds up because it sounded a dream. I possibly, I mean the, the swamp of despair I think is supposed to like, well, it's supposed to make you despair and kind of spiral into death basically. Or at least dissuade you from whatever your mission is. So the only way that Atreyu was able to get through it was by not despairing and thinking positively. Uh, but he, he, it was all um, uh, stacked against him because ultimately his, his horse, his best friend, uh, was, well, drowned in the swamp of despair. Yeah, which I feel like would be pretty traumatic to any child. Yeah. And by the way, we are talking about a ch- children's movie here. Yeah. I mean, they don't show it in graphic you know, detail, of course, but, you know, it's the horse dies. Which I, re- I don't know if I remember that because of the fact that it's lived on in infamy. It's not like 
Optimus Prime, which I remember the death of, like, as being a fairly traumatic. Like, I remember coming out of the theater and thinking, well, I can't believe they killed Optimus Prime. Like, saying that out loud to my mom. Well, you had years of uh, time with Optimus Prime through the TV shows and other That's medium. True. Whereas you had just met this horse and then the horse dies. And I don't think I really had a connection to the character. I was just shocked that they could do that in a cartoon, I think. Yeah, you're like, isn't this against the law? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's like, I don't, this is, I don't, can they do that? But, yeah. I don't know that I was necessarily traumatized. No. Just a shock to that they were, like, able to pull it off. And I totally didn't understand the whole concept of moving on to different newer toys. Yeah, well, like I mean, that, when they did the the second series of Transformer that were all the new people, I didn't really care for it, but I never realized it was a marketing gimmick. My brain didn't accept concepts like that yet. No, none of us knew any of that at the time, but they figured it out because pretty quickly after the movie, they uh, advertised the return of Optimus Prime. I remember that. It was yeah. like a monumental thing that was like must-see TV. Um, it's a letdown. I have those episodes on DVD and I was like, oh, this is exciting. Uh, it's a three-parter. Well, they bring him back twice because once they oh, bring him they? back and he's all white. Okay. And then they bring him back for real. Okay. Well, then I I didn't see the first return. I saw the second return and you're kind of waiting throughout all three of these episodes for like Optimus Prime to show up and do cool things. And my recollection is that kind of at the end, he's like, oh, I'm back, everybody. And then that, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> but. Anyways, so back to Excalibur. Um, who's that cop they work with? Oh, I don't remember his name. But the other guy's got a either. new name, and it's kind of fun. He's like Inspector uh, Br- Brigadier Blot. Right. He's the new guy. Ink Ink Blot. Like Ink Inky Blot or something like that. I don't know. Inky Inky Blot. His, his Brigadier Blot, but is his... Is his first name actually Inky, or is that what our cop guy just has um, nicknamed him? You know, I don't know. I um, feel like it's the latter. Because later, Micromax also calls him Inky, and I don't know if that's because he overheard this. Yeah. Or, I don't know either. Or if that's just his name. Um, Thomas, I can't remember what this cop's name is. Oh, that's well. okay. Well, while they're arguing about uh, jurisdiction and all that sort of stuff, uh, Nightcrawler and the TechNet guys, they, they kind of slip out and they're like, eh, let's get out of here. We don't want any part of this political stuff. Um, meanwhile, on Otherworld, as we recall, Captain Britain was summoned and summarily tried as guilty for, I don't remember what, mu- misusing his powers or something? Yeah, the I think it came down to the fight with Nightcrawler, a civilian. Ah, yes. And so the uh, punishment was death. So all of these Captain Britain, um, multiversal Captain Britons, are basically trying to beat him to death. Um, one of the ladies, Linda McQuillan, Captain UK of Earth 839, she is going to help Captain Britain. She was his lawyer. Yeah. And so they're fighting just a, a whole bunch of uh, multiverse Captain Britons. When Opal Lunal Majestrix, Omniversal Majestrix, Opal Lunal Saturnine, who we know, uh, shows up and says, by decree of um, what's Roma, her, what's, Roma uh, daughter of Merlin, um, please forgive Captain Britain 616. 
And everybody turns and says, what? And she's like, do you question your liege? And they say, well, no. And then it's over. Yep. And I like that it's just resolved. That yep. Simply. I'm, <laughs> it makes sense. It's good. It's fine. His name is Captain Di Thomas. Who's that? The uh, guy that we couldn't remember his name. Captain Di Thomas. Okay. He was yeah. originally like, kind of like, ooh, those Excalibur guys. I don't like them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But now he's kind of there sort of their liaison or I don't know, something like that. He's got a relationship with them. Yes. Uh, a good relationship, at least at this time. Yeah. So Captain Britain flies up to see uh, Saturnine. Um, I think we believe, or it was confirmed that they had some sort of a romantic relationship at some point. As I recall, Saturnine was uh, disguising herself just before they went over into that cross time continue adventure. Yeah. She was, and she also was had a relationship with Kitty, right? Um, well, as did as anything ever face? come of that? No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. So he th- flies up to thank her, and she's like, "Hey, it's not me. Don't get any ideas. It's Roma. She she's the one that wanted to do this." I so, have no idea why she considers you worth the effort, and she walks uh, out. It, uh, yeah, and I, I wonder is she upset because. Uh, She's been scorned by his rebuffing of her previous advances. Although that whole story gets a little confusing because remember he was replaced by Mastermind right. so <laughs> for a it, time. It turned out that none of that was actually Brian at all. Right. But I don't know but, if that, yeah, it, that seemed like it was just to explain that. Right. And I don't know if that is actually actual continuity, but I guess it must be. I have no idea. We don't really talk about it anymore. And who knows, maybe the stuff that they're talking about all just goes back to the UK Captain Britons from way back when, the black and white ones. Yeah, maybe. But anyways, back on Earth uh, 616. Um, Captain Thomas is working with a uh, fortune teller, I guess. <laughs> uh, what, what do they call that when somebody works with the, uh, the, 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 the bureau or something like that? A medium? A medium. That's the word I'm looking for. So this is a medium. Okay. Um, and she is, she, I don't know, she has some sort of precognitive, she's able to see the precognitive wavelengths that says that this, I don't know, this isn't over. But she's she's tipping off the uh, police crew and letting them know where this person is going to strike next. And then Excalibur is going to, uh, or not Excalibur, Nightcrawler's. And men are going to find that spot and do the same thing that they just did. But hopefully Nightcrawler says, this is pathetic. Yes. We need to, we need to work better. We need to work like a team. And in case you forgot, uh, the accountant for the TechNet numbers is here. And he has a relationship with the female dragon, the Lockheed female dragon. Yes. And I thought this would come back, but apparently them fighting is bothering her ears. Yeah, the noise is too much. Nightcrawler just kind of brushes him off and says, go away. Yeah. And that's the last we see of him and her, which I thought was funny, but I thought it would come back, but it didn't. (laughs) So Nightcrawler then faces uh, some self-doubt here. He's like, we got to, you know, I never knew the things that Xavier had to go through to endure uh, us as a team. Um, uh, Nightcrawler says that he always let the stronger members um, 
take the lead, which isn't entirely true because Nightcrawler was a leader in the early 200 issues of the X-Men. Yeah, but he was never confident. That's true. So it kind of goes, it kind of goes in with that. It's like he had the option of becoming the leader, but he never felt confident of it. And so ultimately he let whoever Storm take over. It wasn't Wolverine even the leader for like 30 seconds. Yeah. 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 But he then he goes on and he compares himself to a cheerful, optimistic mascot. And he's like, oh, my gosh, wait a minute. Is that what the X-Men thought of me? No time for this. I can't think negative thoughts. I'll deal with that later. Yeah. What we need is an identity for this group. So then we switch over to over or other world, rather, where uh, the Captain Britain and the Linda female Captain Britain are hanging out, kind of walking around. And this is kind of like filling in some sort of explanation of why Captain Britain's powers work the way they do. There's this big thing in the sky. Uh, what do they call it? The energy matrix. And I guess there's a lot of them, but in all universes, one of them is always in the same place over London. And that's why there's always all these different Captain Britons and they're always at, uh, housed in Britain. Yeah. So we get a little backstory on that. And it also, the one time that they went to America and the captain started losing his powers is explained because the the outfit that all the Captain Britons use uh, connects to the Matrix and is able to absorb its power when they're far away from it. Mm-hmm. And so they explain that the one time that he left uh, Britain and went to America and was losing his powers was because he wasn't using his... Uh, actual outfit, which isn't really a thing I ever asked for, but it's nice that they're kind of touching in on that. Yeah. Uh, we also see Roma's Citadel in the sky. This was my biggest takeaway. Um, this is the same Citadel uh, that that our Roma from the Uncanny X-Men in Fall of the Mutants was. So I think at least... I'd been asking if the Roma in Captain, or sorry, uh, Excalibur was the same Roma from Uncanny X-Men. It's pretty, pretty big coincidence if they weren't. Uh, and in my opinion, this confirms it all. Was, did the Roma in Uncanny X-Men ever refer to her father as Merlin? No. No, okay. So, so maybe that's where the confusion was. It was like, this isn't the same Roma because her father's Merlin. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe Chris Claremont was like, "Yeah, this idea is dumb," and he didn't want to deal with it in the pages of, <laughs> or he thought maybe it's just too convoluted in the pages of Uncanny, so he didn't deal with it. Yeah, um, but either way, it's I, I'm fine with them being the same or different. I mean, I guess ultimately it doesn't matter. Yeah, we also learned that there is a lighthouse in every uh, variant of the Captain Britons. I think aren't those also always in the same? physical place always in the same physical space and always exactly the same dimensions apparently although this one looks very different than ours but apparently it's the same size yes so female captain britain leaves and uh captain britain starts wandering towards the palace that you had just mentioned the citadel it's up in the sky so i don't know how he's going to get there well he can fly can he um, I don't know if he can I, fly. If he doesn't in, have a suit on, but I don't know. Yeah, I suppose so. I think he can fly without a suit. Captain Britain should be noted. He's just walking around in pants and no shirt. Yeah, they don't outright say that he doesn't have access to his powers, but when he was fighting all those Captain Britons, he wasn't getting hurt, so I 
I think we can assume he had a strength in his invulnerability, but uh, through none of this has he flown around. So yeah. maybe that's a part of the suit. I don't know. So we'll find out next issue probably if he does fly up to the Citadel. Who knows? But uh, we cut over to uh, France, the mountains in France, where Megan and Phoenix are hiking to catch a bus. And Megan stops and says, you have not been, you're treating me like a kid, like everybody else does. Why aren't you talking to me? And Phoenix opens up to her and says, basically, like, I've been super shut off from everybody because I don't really, I don't really trust people. But then I met that family and they were like totally pure. So I let my guard down. And then after I let my guard down, when I brought my guard back up, it was really super confusing for me. So I've been playing around with letting my guard down. And it's been kind of neat, but I'm still not very good at talking to people. So she, she kind of tells her what she's been going through. There's a nice panel in the, uh, on the first page with this where we see all of these tree branches crisscrossing mm-hmm. across her face. Yeah. And, and they, um, they do that a lot throughout the next couple of pages. And I was wondering if it was going to mean something. It, it sort of is reminiscent of her hound uh tattoos but they don't do anything with it so it's either just a, a neat touch or uh an an um allusion to something i think more. it's but, yeah, i think it's it's both a cool effect and it's also sort of an allusion to what she's talking about about yeah. sort of her powers and her psyche crisscrossing with one another and turning her powers down so that she can let herself be normal and then kind of talking about how she's relied on her powers and not really focus on her being an actual person. And so I don't know. It's all, it's all pretty interesting. Megan's pretty happy that she's uh, Phoenix has been opening up to her. She's got a big smile on her face at the end of it. And she's like, we got to run. We got to catch the, we got to catch our train. Yeah. And I would say that Megan's smile here is the, um, is a very traditional uh, or um, signature Alan Davis smile. Hmm. I like it. Yeah. He uses it a lot, but to good effect. So all of this stuff is, is well drawn. Um, this, these two pages, I mean, I mean, yeah. the whole issue is, but these two pages in particular kind of stand out. Uh, but the dialogue is, it's, you know, convoluted. It's a little confusing. Um, well, they're digging deeper into Phoenix and, I like this because Phoenix, when she was introduced in the Uncanny X, was kind of like a one note, like, oh, I'm so tormented, my future, blah, 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 I can't talk to my dad. And she kind of had this whininess to her <laughs> that, you know, I remember when I was reading it, I didn't really care for her just because she was so so whiny. And then she went to Excalibur and she was constantly being chased by the, the war wolves and the whole Phoenix stuff. And then they finally resolved that. And I feel like this is kind of like, well, what do we do with Phoenix next? We've kind of gotten rid of those other two traits that we've been developing. Uh, and so now instead of you know, making her kind of this war-torn future person, talking about her letting her guard down, uh, respecting Megan's kind of adoptive parents or whatever those people are, um, as actual people with thoughts, ideas, and dreams rather than just kind of background characters. Uh, I, I think it's all neat. Yeah, I, it's neat for sure. But, yeah, I don't know. It it, wasn't, it, I wish it wasn't so wordy and kind of they could just simplify it. Yeah, but I mean, uh, I think when 
we were younger, because at this point, I don't think I'm really collecting. I'm not collecting Excalibur, that's for sure. I may have picked this issue up just for the uh, nostalgia of the cover, um, but I wouldn't have really processed or read it, and I'd be wondering, where is the action probably? Because <laughs> there really isn't all that much action going on in this issue. There's, yeah, there's, there's mostly it's people talking. But as an adult, I kind of appreciate this character building and yeah. the storytelling. So for sure. Anyways, Micro Max, he's uh, at I don't know another. He's at the next art gallery. spot where they think the uh, the the invisible person is going to strike. I don't know how they came to this conclusion. Maybe they also have mediums on their team. But yeah, who knows? But he's there with all of his gear. Um, how can I guard something when I don't know where it is? And he's sitting on a box that says. What does it say? Let me zoom in. Druid, Druid art exhibit art. number two. Yep. Nuts to you, Inky. How can I guard something when I don't know what it is? He throws his little radio to the side. It breaks apart. Uh, and that's when everything kind of goes flying around, including himself. And the... He's knocked out. by like Somebody hits him in the back, I think. Yeah. And he's immediately knocked out. The case that he was sitting on is smashed open. A tiara, it looks like. Or looks maybe like... a necklace. Yeah, let's go Tierra. Uh, is pulled out, and that's when Nightcrawler's team shows up, and they're all dressed as they are on the cover in their coordinated costumes. Not only do they have coordinated costumes, but now they've got coordinated uh, plans of attack. So we go through... I don't want to describe it all, but we go through kind of a, a coordinated attack in which each person does a thing that allows the next person to build upon whatever that person was doing uh, to ultimately um, determine that whoever is here looks kind of like a monster. It kind of looks like a Megan monster, to be honest. Oh, yeah, so it's Alan Davis. Yeah. But anyways, uh, it's being controlled by some far off uh, person, entity, whatever. Um, so they're able to identify that. They're able to fight back and basically break the link between whatever this monster guy is and whoever's controlling everything. But now they know that there is somebody behind all of this. It's not just the monster. Um, and we, we, the audience, see him from his vantage point, and he uh, is going to. He's, he's he looks like a classic kind of scene chewing villain my servant destroyed i would not have believed it possible none so you know i'm but i i'm gonna change i'm gonna uh i'm gonna come back i'm gonna strike even harder next time soon i shall be a god and none shall stand against me he reminds me of kulan goth if you remember him nope he was from uh some I think he's more of a Avengers villain, but he was in um, X Men One Ninety. <laughs> I don't know. It's an old issue of X Men. Uh, the one of my favorite issues is either One Eighty Nine or One Ninety, where uh, the issue opens up and you basically see Spider Man um, like tied to a cross. His costume is all torn apart. The X Men are there. The Avengers are there, uh, and Manhattan's been transformed into this crazy i don't know hellscape or whatever and it's all perpetrated by kulan goth and they all have to work together uh to resolve the issue so pretty cool the, but i don't remember it yeah we covered it <laughs> i'm sure we did <laughs> like five years ago but we covered it anyways 
Uh, I don't know who this is, but if I'm taking a bet or making a prediction, I'm going to say it's him. Uh, Kulangath? Yes. Okay. But I don't know. And I'm not going to look it up either. Uh, so anyways, yeah, they, they saved the day and, uh, Inky Blot, no, not Inky Blot, uh, Captain Thomas, Captain Thomas there, he, or Chief Thomas, Chief Command, Thomas. Commander, somebody calls him Commander Thomas, the me, the medium calls him Commander Thomas. One of our characters here, it was, um, China Doll shrunk the giant monster into like a little tiny, I don't know, action figure and, and she's like, Ooh, can I keep it? Captain Dave. Captain, what's his face? What did you Captain say? Thomas. Captain Thomas says, no, it's evidence. You got to give it back. You can't keep it. It's evidence. So they hop aboard their new blackboard, blackbird rather, and they, they comment about the other blackbird was, um, I don't know, confiscated or whatever. It was, the X-Men lost it. Yeah. Back and in somebody X-Men says, well, TechNet never loses anything. Meanwhile, Joy Boy is in an alleyway just kind of bobbing around, and we see a hand reach out as, as Joy Boy turns around, realizing that TechNet is leaving without them. Uh, and whoever this hand is grabs Joy Boy and pulls him off panel. Reap. Meanwhile, on this other weird story, Earth-148, uh, Kylon is leading the rebellion against whatever's happening here. Yeah, I mean, this has been going on. It seems like this rebellion just continues to keep going. But now uh, the I'm assuming Kylan is another Captain Britain, maybe or maybe not. I don't know. I don't think so. No, but he's with us. He's with a definite Saturnine alternate Saturnine because her name is like Satnine or something like that. Yeah, uh, they get separated from the uh, invasion slash Armageddon, whatever, and they meet up. With the ultimate bad guy, whose name is Necrom. Oh, you know what? I'm, I'm the monster behind Necrom. Looks like the monster that they just defeated, and Necrom's got a ring on his chest. And if you look back a couple of pages, uh, the dude whose cloak looks purple, he also has a ring on his chest. So it's probably not Kulan Goth. I bet you this Necrom and that Necrom. I bet you they're alternate or they're. Uh, multiversal copies of each other. Oh, look at you doing connections. Yeah. I didn't even notice that. Yep. You are probably right. Um, well, I just noticed the monster, and this is like the third time I've looked at the issue, so I don't okay. blame you for not noticing it the first time around. <laughs> uh, he says that the X-Men, or the Excalibur team in this universe, so I guess this wouldn't, Kylan wouldn't be Captain Britain, uh, didn't actually betray the... The, the, this universe, as everybody, we're learning this information now, but apparently the Excalibur of this universe betrayed this universe, but it turns out that they didn't betray this universe. Rather, this guy, Necrom, killed them, and he is he has resurrected them all to fight Kylon and Satnine, and uh, we see them rise from the ground, I guess, and it is a... Uh, Zombie Spider-Man, Thor, uh, Black Knight, and somebody in the front who I'm assuming is going to be Colin the Barbarian because it says next issue, Colin the Barbarian. Yeah, probably. Which just makes me think of Barbara the Librarian. But, (laughs) you know, that's just me. And that's the end of uh, Excalibur number 45. I hope... I was thinking this as I was reading the issue last night. I hope that these... Like every issue so far has been ending with these Kylan stories, 
And I hope they just resolve themselves without ever actually getting into the main story. I think it would be pretty funny if they were just like two page backstories that don't really relate to anything in the end. I don't think that's going to happen, but no, I think it would be funny if they did. He, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I predict that he'll end up on Earth 616 as either a member of Excalibur or a associate of Excalibur. Could I be. might be wrong, though. I don't know. Or at least a friend. I mean, they'll probably fight it first. Probably. It's the Marvel way. So that takes us to X-Force number five. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh boy indeed so so this has like like in the last issue the coloring of this issue is weird and i really like i think the coloring makes the issue stand out and i like it because it's consistent and uh that's the positive thing that i have to say about this issue well i think the colorist was like what am i gonna do with this mess <laughs> <laughs> and let's see the colorist is uh, Murray and Murray Murray says, and Witterstatter Murray and Witterstatter so I mean there is a, this is poosh, this issue is a mess uh, so the cover here is Sauron remember him yeah yeah Blob Pyro is Pyro even in this issue no okay um, Toad and question mark who also isn't in this issue yeah, so so the, I'm assuming next issue we'll figure out who these like how Pyro and Question Mark join the team. Question Mark is a typical looks like a typical Rob Liefeld creation. They'll have the same kind of feel to them. She has like a like an oracle mask, sort of similar to uh, Destiny. So maybe maybe this is the new Destiny. I have no idea. I so know. the last time I remember Toad was when. Angel gave him his own theme park to run. <laughs> yeah. And he was basically reforming or uh, uh, taking on a new leaf as, right. as not a bad guy. Go. Well, Rob Liefeld and Fabian Nassizia said no. <laughs> no, all of a sudden Toad is a mastermind and he's got resources and all sorts of tools. And he and talks he, a lot. And he talks a lot and he's 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 in charge. But that's not where we start the story. Where we start the story is um, Deadpool showing up uh, with Juggernaut and Black Tom. They've teleported in, and he is handing them over to a mystery man. Um, well, this is uh, Tolliver. The, Tolliver has been mentioned several times in X-Force sure. as some sort of guy that Deadpool is working for. Uh, I think in New Mutants, the first appearance of Deadpool, New Mutants, that Deadpool was trying to kill Cable. I think that's where we first got the mention of Tolliver. Sure. So we know Deadpool is just a gun for hire, and Tolliver is making use of that. We do learn that um, Black Tom is not dead. He's dying, though. He's He needs to get to a hospital immediately. Juggernaut says, thanks, whoever you are. Thanks for holding us out of there, but got to get my friend to a doctor. And Tolliver says, we will get him to a doctor, and then you'll owe me big time. Uh, and you would get a really ridiculous, stupid, toothy smile, which we're going to see a lot in this issue. <laughs> Especially from Toad. Woof. Meanwhile, uh, a man is returning home. Um, I don't think we get a name here, but we'll get it soon. 
And the next page, they call him uh, Carl or Dr. Lycos. Toad keeps calling him Dr. Lycos, so we know who it is. Yeah, but on this first page, we don't really know what's going on, but he's a normal man doing normal things, bringing groceries home, coming home to his wife or girlfriend, Tanya, uh, to make some dinner. But Blob and Toad are here sporting still ridiculous toothy smiles. Like, Blob's is especially ridiculous. (laughs) So you're like a big brotherhood well, you're you're a big Blob fan. I like I like most I like all these brothers like Mastermind Blob Toad. Yeah. So how do you how do you feel about this Rob Liefeld's Blob? It's terrible. Okay. <laughs> it's absolute. This is a ter. I mean this this drawing. Um, you know, if we come through and find some better ones, I will let you know. But this is just terrible. And same thing with Toad. I mean, yeah, it's it's bad. Apparently, Toad was in the Kings of Pain four-part storyline i don't remember him in that the thing yeah the thing about toad here is you can't really tell where he starts and finishes and then i can't really tell what's happening with tanya who he's kind of holding i feel like so rob liefeld drew her face or maybe he drew carl's face first and then he drew her face second and then he drew blob's face third and then he drew toad's face you know, he drew the faces first. Then he figured out, okay, so I got all the faces in there. Because the faces aren't terrible. I mean, you know, they got their big toothy grins. But beyond that, they look competent. And then the rest of it, it's like he just sort of, he drew the rest of Toad. Because he, he's got an arm and a leg exposed. And he uh-huh. kind of makes sense. And then he's he crouched over. He's got his neck around, or his uh, hand around Tanya's neck. I guess he's, his finger is, what is happening there? Yeah, well, his thumb he's is on her, her neck. cheek? That looks and, like a mistake. And his uh, index <laughs> finger's on his cheek. Yeah, I mean, he's just like, I don't know where to put these things, so here, here, here's where they're going to go. Her body is, feels like an afterthought. Oh, Blob's yes. body feels like an afterthought. Um, yeah, the coloring's great, though. The coloring is, uh, yeah, the coloring's good. You got all coloring. these yellows to do this shading. Like, clearly the colorist was like, Nobody cares, so I'm just gonna do what I want, and I'm gonna I'm gonna master my craft on X Force. He's experimenting. We definitely get a sense that we got a light source coming in from the right, because everybody is kind of illuminated with a like a, even a sunset, right? I mean, yeah. these are not usual comic book colors. There's a lot of a lot of soft colors, right? Uh, no real no real harsh reds or greens that we usually see and purples that we see in comic books. These are all kind of soft shades of different colors. It's, it's really nice. So yeah, uh, Toad's doing a lot of talking here um, and says, basically I'm forming a new brotherhood of evil mutants and I'm, I want Sauron to join. Yeah. And Dr. Lycos is like, I, I don't do that anymore. I'm an, I'm an, I'm a guy. I'm a nice guy. I got a life. And Blob has a, what appears to be a mohawk, but I don't think it is a mohawk. I think it's just the side view is terrible. Well, he's definitely, Liefeld has decided that Blob's haircut is, is kind of that 90s shaved, you know, Isn't back Isn't that the, the same sides. haircut that Rob Liefeld sports? Yes. <laughs> yeah. He's basically just drawing everybody's hairstyle like a Rob Liefeld hairstyle. Okay. Especially even Toad's there. That's That's Rob Liefeld's hair. That is essentially, yeah. Yeah. Although that works with Toad, because I mean, Toad's never really, you know. I guess Toad sort of has the, does he have the mo, uh, curly, uh, the 
the Stoogismo haircut. Yeah, a bowl cut. I mean, yeah. he was yeah. you know, he was never meant to be a, a stylish, uh, conniving villain. It's always meant to be a toad, a toady. But here he is, forming a new brotherhood of eel mutants. Toad is talking about the. She talks about Genosha. There's this thread that goes throughout this comic about how uh, mutants need to be more like the military or something. I don't know. It's they're trying to set something up, but it's not. It feels like the outline of something rather than anything that's concrete. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to really nail down what they're trying to do. It seems like the whole idea is just to set up X Force as this kind of military unit sort of thing, more pre- more precision, more of more of like a terrorist group, I guess. Um, but obviously not a terrorist fighters. group. Freedom fighters. Yeah. Gideon, he's on the news and he's like... Uh, what are you talking about? This is Professor X, right? <laughs> it took me a minute. I'm like, okay, it's a bald man with a suit and tie. It's got to be Professor X. But if you look closely, you can see the top knot and the hair. And on the next page, we call out that this is Gideon. But yes, like, why is Professor X so bulky? <laughs> yeah. But he says that, yeah, you know, it was the juggernaut and Black Tom Cassidy over there at the Twin Towers, but... Referring to the last couple of issues. Yeah, I think it was masterminded by the X-Force's leader, Cable. He's bad, and we gotta stop him. So, I mean, they were truly trying to set up as X-Force as this outlaw armageddon group that is ultimately good guys so i I guess this is what rob liefeld's going for it's kind of like the opposite of x factor i have questions on this next panel okay so on the the next page rather uh we see that uh cable's been watching this gideon thing um and uh sean cassidy with elf ears he walks in and says how long has this been running cable but for some reason they keep calling him sam and cannonball very confused (laughs) Oh, wait, is that supposed to be Cannonball? Yeah, I guess so. Why does he have elf ears and why does he look like Banshee? I am done nitpicking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He's got a big frown on his face. I see that. And elf ears. Yeah, the ears are kind of silly. This, I I was thinking uh, that this was, uh, was it, was the... uh, the the girl and boy team from uh, X Factor. Oh, um, uh, Rusty and Rusty Skids. and Skids. I actually did too. I was like, oh, is this the the Mutant Liberation Front? I was like, did they rescue Rusty and Skids? <laughs> yeah, and they're hanging out with X Force now. And uh, yeah, because this is a new design for Boom Boom, where she essentially she looks like Skids. Yep. Uh, Sam also looks like Rusty. Uh, so or Banshee or Banshee. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, there's uh, a lot of talk about like, uh, this is terrible that now everybody thinks that we're terrorists and are we going to, what are we going to do about that? We got to clear up our name and, uh, Banshee says, I'm going to, I'm going to, I, I want to leave the team, but he doesn't leave the team. I'm staying just to keep an eye on you and see things through to the end. And by Banshee, you mean Cannonball. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, Cable says, uh, I, you can you can go. You've got a family. Uh, what about you, Tabitha? Oh, 
you have Tabitha, whether you know it or not. So I guess they're implying that Tabitha Cable realizes that Boom Boom likes Cannibal. I guess they're not in a relationship, are they? No, they're not. But I mean, they're. I think they're trying to make it clear that they're going to be. There are a lot of weird tacked on relationships in this issue. Okay. Because uh, the next, well, the next page fe- features Warpath just running around and <laughs> ultimately this goes nowhere, but he howls at the moon. Yeah, it's a lot of like, and I, I think it's, it's. I, I actually didn't mind this, this uh It's interlude. character building, which is fine, but it's so generic. It's Fabian Nicesia saying, let's have, well, we got Thunderball ball ro- running around. Whatever his name is. Well, his name was Thunderbird, but now he's Warpath. Warpath. Uh, running around. Um, let's give him some Apache connections and, and talk about his spirituality. and Which he's, o- he's always fine. had. So fine. good on them for like recognizing that and using it. Yep. But boy, boy, is it cliched. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, and then we it, cut to Shatterstar fighting in what we call the Danger Room, but I don't think it's the Danger Room. Certainly no. not the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's a new danger room or maybe Fabian Nicesia doesn't know what a danger room actually is because I thought X4 said we got to leave and we got to go do our own thing. Their headquarters is in the Sentinel. Yes. The, the former Ant-Hill. Sentinel Mountain. It's fine that they have a danger room, but right. they shouldn't call it the danger room. They should call it X-Force's version of the danger room or something so that we know that we're not. When you say the danger room, I immediately think we're in xavier's school for the gifted exactly well he's he's fighting these these orbs a la luke skywalker and his lightsaber practice uh and he is being watched by feral which was pretty obvious right from the start so what they're doing here she shows up in a swimsuit and she's like hey lover boy and he's like my name is shatterstar and they're trying to establish a relationship between them well, she's got the hots for him, and he, yeah. as a typical um, uh, whatever planet he's from, the same planet as Longshot, he's kind of like, oh, I'm just here to fight. I don't have any romantic uh, ideals. He doesn't say that, but he, he's not interested right now. Yeah. I think it's funny that he takes his little headdress off, and his head is basically shaped the same as his headdress <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and his hair. <laughs> but whatever, he takes that thing off, and... And she, he says, I have no interest in fighting you, Feral. And she's like, who said anything about fighting? I said wrestling. See you around, lover boy. She also refers to him as Shaddy Butts, which I think is kind of cute. Shaddy Buns. <laughs> Shaddy Buns, that's right. Um, and then we cut to uh, Siren. Siren, yep. Sean Cassidy's daughter, who is watching from, well, I guess, which would be the danger room controls. So she was watching Feral, who was watching Shatterstar. Yeah, and sure. Cable comes in and says, see anything you like? And immediately, Siren is like, what, Shatterstar? No, give me a break. Which right. is, because like, I, I didn't assume that's what Cable was talking about uh, oh. until she said it. But I guess they're also trying to maybe establish a triangle oh. between the three of them. I don't know. It, it seems weird that why would she be interested at all in why would cable assume anything based on her just watching something from the danger room right it's all very clunky love triangle setting up but it might not be because it's so bad that it's hard to really tell yeah but ultimately she's like 
Uh, there's not much of Muir Island left. Uh, I'm going to hang out with you guys. Is that cool? And Gable's like, sure, welcome to X-Force. And then she's like, pardon my bitter, cynical shell. A person can, can be getting that way, you know, when everything and everyone they've ever loved turns to rot around them. And Cable says, you will fit in right, right in here. Won't you? You've got that bad attitude that we've all got. <laughs> I got nothing but respect for your father. But what's going to come down in a month? A year? I don't know. It's going to be dirty. Very, Very dirty. dirty. After what the the Shadow King made me feel and do on Muir Island, nothing will ever make me truly feel truly clean again. I can handle it. It's a terrible Irish accent, Adam. No, it's perfect. <laughs> okay. Um, what happened then? Like, I mean, I know she was taken over by the Shadow King, but are they implying that more stuff happened off screen that... No, I or, feel or is it like just it's just a general. It's it sucks having your mind taken over. Yeah, I mean, I think they were corrupted for weeks, if not months. So having a loss of self and maybe riding shotgun in your own brain while somebody else is controlling it. I mean, that's that's invasive. Yeah, right? for sure. So, but it just feels like I guess why would she turn and? I mean, they're trying to make her fit into X Force, right? But it seems like this is a weird route to go. But then yeah. again, I'm being over picky on this issue because it's terrible. Meanwhile, in uh, the, I guess. There's a meeting in Washington, D.C. Yeah, at the Office of Commission of Superhuman Activities. Uh, we got Bridge, Henry Peter Geirich, uh, Valerie Cooper, and Nick Fury are all at a conference. And they're all discussing what to do about cable. And everyone's like. I'm cool with this, except for Henry Geirich, who's like, I'm not cool with this. I want Project Wide Awake to be turned back online. I'm going to make that rec uh, recommendation to the president. He said something about Shaw, too. Well, Shaw Industries was the original funding for the Sentinels and Project Wide Awake. But Okay, so we recently reacquired re the financial backing we've needed since Shaw Industries collapsed. Project yeah. Wide Awake is already is ready to go back online. Okay. Yep. So, so yeah. he wants more Sentinels. Everybody else here is like, yeah, we're good with what we've got. Valerie Cooper's going to recommend that, like, we just leave him alone. Uh, uh, like that. Well, I guess she's going to recommend that we let GW Bridge, who is a member of S.H.I.E.L.D., take care of it. Right. And he's going to get in contact with the latest Weapon X from Canada, whose name is Kane. Well, he's already gotten in touch with him. And there's a third person that he's going to get in touch with. It looks like Domino, mm. but we don't know who that is. Yeah. Um, Kane did not know anything about Cable's whereabouts, but it is established that Kane previously ran with Cable. So I don't think we know that Cable is a time traveler yet. We being Rob Liefeld and Fabian Nicieza. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I find that more interesting than anything that's going on here. Uh. There's a mention of X-Factor. Uh, right. Valerie Cooper's X-Factor is not ready yet to take on Cable's X-Force. Right. Okay. Did anybody run that by Peter David? <laughs> Peter David's like, I want nothing to do with X-Force. <laughs> and they're like, all right, we'll just throw this line of dialogue in. Uh, GW Bridge is conflicted about this because he's like, he has a past with Cable and and that's why Nick Fury wants him for the job because he wants... Somebody with a conscience to do this. I don't. I don't get this whole thing. But I get what they're trying to go for. It just 
given what we eventually learn about cable, it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. But okay, whatever. Yeah, whatever indeed. And we cut back to the torture of Dr. Carl Lycos. And Toad has him and Tanya strapped upside down. And he's going to use Tanya's life essence to basically reincarnate Sauron. Uh, is there... I I thought this was a little pervy. They're both wearing these upside down diapers, which are kind of weird. Well, they're naked, hung upside down. Uh, yeah, and then they're got metal diapers and things covering their their goody bits but uh not sure why they need to be naked exactly i mean i i think the whole point here or upside is, down to be honest <laughs> right there's a lot right um the whole point here is that in order to trigger sauron they need dr lycos to absorb somebody's life force again i don't think they got to be naked i don't think they got to be upside down right but and they don't even use that kind of as a stressor to force Doctor Lycos. Um, I think Toad throws a switch or something to electrify something uh, to cause this transfer to happen. But there's a funny uh, inconsistency here. Um, Tanya, of course, uh, her 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 all of her bits are covered, right? So she's got two pieces of metal uh, around her midsection, whereas Doctor Lycos only has one in the first two panels. But when you get to the third panel, when they actually energize it, uh, now his pecs are covered with oh, a, yeah. an additional <laughs> piece of metal, That's which funny. is like, really? How did what? <laughs> this is on the same page as where you previously drew him with just a diaper and and not a like a sport bra. Whoops. So I thought that was funny. The conduit is ready. The genetic template reconfigurator is primed. I feel like re- reconfigurator is not a word, but I'm okay with it. Where did Toad get a genetic template reconfigurator? That's a great question. <laughs> uh, and again, why do they need to be naked? But whatever. It works. And uh, Tanya, his girlfriend, says an extra um, element of torture there uh, is absorbed presumably killed, uh, thus completing the transformation of Dr. Lycos into the new, or whatever, rejuvenated Sauron. Sauron is back! Do you hear me? <laughs> and then we get a, a quick shot of Tanya with her eyes completely blank, and I, I'm assuming she's not dead, but maybe, maybe she's not. dead. Maybe Who she's going to be the Sauron battery. Yeah, I don't know. And uh, yeah, so great. Good How stuff, good stuff. what is happening here uh, on the second to last page? We see uh, the two people upside down naked and and the energy th- the scissorack, and then we see Sauron happening. Oh, I see. It's a facial transformation. Yeah, it's okay. on the left. You have Doctor Lycos, and in the middle, I guess you have sort of the 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 variant between Sauron and Doctor Lycos, and on the right you have. Uh, Sauron, and they're all upside down because he's upside down. Now, a couple questions. How does he get out of those bindings, and where does he get his purple pants from? He gets out of the binding because he's super strong. Okay. But I don't know where he gets the pants from. Maybe maybe those aren't pants. There's just purple Sauron legs. Okay, with a, with a fly and everything? Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, well, there you go. Sauron's back, everybody. Hooray. I mean, we do get a panel of just the back of Sauron's head. So maybe he's putting on pants in that panel. <laughs> Off panel, Toad was like, here are your trademark purple pants. 
nothing matters. Yeah, not nothing matters. Ah, uh, yeah. So that was a that was an issue of X Force. It sure was. Adam, I didn't get a chance to read Namor twenty one and Quasar twenty eight. So I will Marvel. briefly cover them. Eighty three. So why don't you uh, fire away? Namor twenty one features, I think, two pages of. I'm not even going to open them. Um, two pages of Wolverine uh, sneaking onto the property of what turns out to be the mansion of some guy and um, a plant monster. Okay. And the plant monster is able to detect Wolverine and capture him before he can escape. And it's written by John Byrne. So it's, it's well-written. Okay. Um, And at the end where Wolverine is captured, he is like, uh, there's like a thought bubble or something like that that says Wolverine feels like he's in over his head for the first time in his life, which feels a bit of a stretch. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he's been over over his head a lot. But uh, yeah, that was that's Namor 21. The rest of it is uh, irrelevant to, okay. to us, although it might he's in like the next five issues and I think in bits and pieces until the final thing. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Quasar 28 takes place after the Infinity War in which her, who is the female counterpart for Adam Warlock, who used to be him, Mm. uh, is searching for a mate. And she goes to the X-Mansion and the X-Men burst out of the X-Mansion and Cyclops is like, look alive, everybody. And they're all terribly written. And she kind of glances over them and says, you guys are mutants and that will not do. And then she flies away. So hmm. it's a nice little cameo. Okay. Um, did you read Marvel Comics 83? No. Marvel Comics presents 83? I did not. Okay. So this continues the storyline of Firestar. And uh, I don't, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to like this. <laughs> it's just not, it's not, they're not making it easy on me. Okay. There's a lot of things that I have I have so in the last issue, Freedom Force, or I guess I think that's still Freedom Force because this takes place a while ago. Uh, Mystique's Freedom Force, sure, uh, bursts into Firestar's home after Mystique, disguised as as Firestar's friend's cover, is blown. Basically, she blows her own cover, which makes no sense at all. So Firestar escapes with her father. And Freedom Force goes after her, and Misty keeps saying, "I w- I want her alive. I don't. I want her to help us out." But like, they're exploding into their house. Is like, I don't know. You go if you want somebody on your team, you go and talk to them, right? You don't burst into their house and destroy all the walls of their home and make them flee. And then she sends Spiral after her, and Spiral has her own agenda and accidentally impales her father on a sword, but she's okay with that. And then Firestar is like, I hate you. And Spiral's like, I've always hated you. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> wow. Uh, so Firestar goes to the hospital and hopefully her father will be okay. Um, there's some sort of other team that has hospital orderlies on their staff. So they're going to try to also recruit Firestar. Uh, I don't really know what their deal is yet. 
But yeah, miss, I, I don't know. The the thing that really irks me is that Freedom Force are just so adept at whatever their attempted, uh, like they they say that their purpose is to recruit Firestar, but just the way that they go about it is, is so completely stupid that I, I can't really get behind it. Sure. And a little bit of better writing would just, you know, solve that problem. Yeah. But yeah. So it, the good things about it are that this, this, uh, this mysterious team is still mysterious and I don't know what their deal is, but so it's an eight parter. So bear with me folks. <laughs> oh boy. That sounds not exciting. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's not, well, it's terrible, but it's not terrible. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like all of the Marvel comics person stories where you're just waiting for the story to happen because it's hard to write in eight page increments. Right. So Hopefully it could get interesting. I mean, I like, I like that it has characters that we I like seeing freedom Force. I like seeing Emma Frost. Uh, she wasn't in this one when she was in the last one. So I like seeing, I'm assuming this will take us, this happens before Firestar joins new warriors. So maybe that'll play into it. Who knows? Whatever. So that was Marvel. That was my quick review of Marvel comics presents 83. Honestly, I don't know how this comic book stays like a thing for like another hundred issues or however many issues it goes. Well, Wolverine. I guess. Yeah. Wolverine and eventually Ghost Rider. Oh, do they, does Ghost Rider replace Wolverine or does it just become kind of a, an additional comic for both Wolverine and Ghost Rider? They do a neat thing where uh, if you flip the comic over, it's a Ghost Rider cover. Oh, and I remember that. if you flip that, the comic yeah. over, it's a Wolverine cover. Yeah. So that's, I guess that's basically how they sell it is two hot properties, Wolverine and Ghost Rider. But the stories are all so terrible. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, with the, with the exception of the occasional Weapon X. Yeah. They can't all be Weapon X. I'm interested when we get to the Sam Keith stuff to kind of review that. Cause that's when I stopped. Cause I was like, oh, this artwork's terrible. But. <laughs> That'll be fun. Although I'm imagining once again, it's going to be eight part incom- incomprehensible storylines yeah, we'll find out at least at least Sam Keith is like enjoyable yeah and we get the introduction of cyber a character who I don't think is still around but maybe he is no character is ever completely gone Adam that's true uh, except for Uncle Ben maybe yeah he probably came back once or twice <laughs> so that takes us uh, finally to Excalibur Air Apparent which is uh, a special edition 64 page or 49 page or 49 page, um, probably a graphic novel or prestige format. I'm assuming these are the version of the Excalibur annuals because they don't have annuals. Oh, that could be because I was wondering why there were so many of these. But yeah, you're probably right. These are just the, the annuals for Excalibur. Um, there's no nothing of consequence in this issue whatsoever. Um, but that being said... Uh, I thought it was a, a fun little read. Um, it's got art. good art. I, well, the art the art fluctuates. I really liked the art with the when they got to the Captain Britain stuff. Uh, before that, it kind of was hit or miss. So it feels like there's multiple artists on this, but nowhere in at least Marvel Unlimited can I find the art credits. So well, the cover is done by Walt Simonson, so I'm assuming he drew the cover. whole thing. The cover is bad. Uh, I, well, I think. 
I think the thing about Walt Simonson is it depends on the inker a lot. That could be. I don't know. It feels like a sketch that's been inked. And I think he did all of the art. But yeah, okay. you're right. It, it definitely feels like multiple. Like there's a point at which I thought it was Eric Larson, but I think it's just mm. that Eric Larson was heavily influenced by Walt Simonson. Well, the two things that I got from the art style inside the book, uh, number one, yeah, I mean, uh, classic um, X-Men comics, you know, uh, or, or X-Factor going back to the mid to late 80s. But I also got a, a heavy Archie vibe because it's very uh, simple artwork. And I don't mean that with any disrespect, right? It's just we're not trying to break new barrier. It's very uh, standard common uh, artwork. And then the coloring is very innocuous. All right. So I, I brought up the uh, the stats for this one. And you were, you were right. It's multiple artists. Okay. So the writer of this is Scott Lobdell. Okay. Uh, the artists are Ron Lim, who I like. Mm-hmm. Dwayne Turner, who I think I like. Jackson Juice, who we've seen oh, before okay. on X Factor. The cover feels like Jackson Juice, but carry on. Rick Leonardi, uh, okay. uh, who has filled in for a couple X-Men issues that we've both kind of panned the art of. Yep. Eric Larson. So I guess that was Eric Larson that I was like, this looks like Eric Larson. Probably. And James Fry. So Eric Larson does the Captain Britain stuff because that's where I was like, oh, I like this. It reminds me of Eric Larson. I'm going to guess that Jackson Juice did... All of the Nightcrawler chapter. Okay. Because it feels very, it looks like, um, well, it looks like Jackson Juice, and it also looks like a lot of Deathlock stuff. And then everybody has their own individual inker to go with their little bits and bits and bobs. Um, and then the cover is by Walt Simonson, who does not have anything to do with the interior. So, my bad. Yeah. Well, I don't want to cover this in depth because it's it's pretty long, but I mean, the... Basically, you've got what I liked about it was it's a series of vignettes. Basically, I mean, the team is called together to solve a problem. Uh, Shield has called them in and said, "Hey, there's this thing that's happening, and we need you to solve it." Um, and they come up with a plan of like, "All right, half the team go over here, half the team go over there." And Shield's like, "Well, here's what we are actually thinking. Maybe Nightcrawler could do this, Megan could do this, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Kind of use." the strengths of each character to kind of solve each one of these individual problems, which should ultimately take care of the overall problem. Right. There's a whole elaborate setup about how like we have no jurisdiction over what Excalibur does, but if we did, here's what you could do. (laughs) And they, they essentially do it. And they essentially do that. So I was like, I don't know why we need, now that I realize this is written by Scott Labdell, this makes complete sense because I feel like, over elaborate setups are kind of Fabian Nicieza and Scott Lobdell's thing because they're new. Well, I also feel like they got 49 pages to fill. Yeah, and, that's probably uh, th- true. This whole setup takes six of those pages. Um, so, but they they split up, and we get several chapters dedicated to a single member of Excalibur doing a thing. Nightcrawler gets to fight basically a T-1000, which is kind of fun. Uh, Kitty gets to fight basically a robotic alien, which is pretty fun. Yeah, the design for this is basically an alien, but it's a cyborg alien, which is kind of neat. Megan fights another cyborg. I don't think it's Terminator-inspired, but... It's Cold Blood. Do you remember 
The Giver or Giver starring Mark Hamill. Very, very. Uh, <laughs> so, so The Giver starring Mark Hamill was based on an anime called oh, The Giver. Okay. Uh, which I think is what established that concept. I'm sure the movie, which was a low budget movie, probably completely varied from what the anime was about I'm based sure. on probably because of budget. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I, I remember it existing, but I don't actually remember the movie. I remember that in a period where we were watching bad Mark guy, Mark, Mark Hamill movies and bad miles O'Keefe movies. Yeah. And just bad sci-fi movies in general. So this is, uh, I guess the writer Scott Lobdell didn't know what to do with Megan. Uh, so he, so cold blood, I know from Marvel comics present, I think it was like a four parter or maybe a five parter. And I think I'm going to guess that Scott Lobdell also wrote that one. And I don't know if he created this character or if it was a character from the old Marvel archive that he was like, Oh, nobody's using this. I'll, I'll try to do something with it. Yeah. He works. I think this is the guy that works for rocks and right. Yeah. Well, he's like a, he's like a, Machine for hire for Roxon. But he ultimately Does develops right a conscience is like, well, I can't, I can't kill. They're not paying me enough for this. Yeah. Uh, there's also a, a subplot with kind of the ultimate bad guy being a former herald of Galactus. So that kind of sets the stakes up. Well, no, it's there. not quite that. It's like, like this is where the convolution comes in. So, so it was it was hard to follow, and I'll tr- I'm going to try to very quickly explain it. Um, there's a guy, <laughs> okay, who uh, who gets an essence of Galactus's power and tries to use it to make himself a cosmic being, and he also tries to use it since he's a scientist to create a herald-like being. Uh, yes, that has cosmic power that he can control or whatever. Uh, it backfires on him. Using it on himself kind of makes him have powers, but it also makes him uh, problematic, I guess. He's probably going to die eventually. Um, the the T-1000 guy that you mentioned, or the Terminator guy that you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, is his sidekick for some reason. He's just an android. I'm not sure what he really relates the alien guy was the prototype for the the ultimate uh, Galactus-infused being. And the Galactus-infused being is the heir apparent of the title. Okay. And uh, heir apparent being a clever turn of phrase for heir apparent, which A-I-R instead of H-E-I-R. I don't know. It doesn't really make any sense. doesn't. So yeah, it's it's just convoluted. But when you get down to it, you get five people doing five different things. Right. So you have to come up with five things for these people to do. Rachel gets to fight sort of a a, a... So this is the actual professor who infused himself with Galactus's essence in order to try to extend his life, but it makes him half the man he used to be. He's half the man he used to be. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for singing that. I, I went there. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is like a, he's having difficulty holding his form and she's kind of like whittling away at him. 
Uh, and then ultimately, I don't know, her power, like they're kind of connected somehow. So anything they it's do to one another, it, yeah, kind of affects the other. But so she encases him in glass and says, um, there, now I'm not affected and you're going to die. But then you're going to resurrect and you're going to die. and You're going to resurrect and you're going to die until somebody can figure out how to put all your molecules back in place. Right. When we first met him, he was like, when I first infused myself with Galactus's essence, it killed me. But then it brought me back and then I died again and then it brought me back. And he keeps talking about that. So, yeah, that's his lot in life now. He just dies and comes back. Do you remember? um, Oh, my gosh. Uh uh torchwood and yeah. uh and what's his face the the jack uh jack. yeah jack harkness yeah in one of the seasons or maybe one of the movies i think it was children of the children of men no wait, that's a movie yeah i know which one you're talking about anyways the, there's the a good one <laughs> yeah there's a season three he has about to children. go yeah, he has to go back in time or something like that. But then he ends up getting buried, so he spends like a hundred years basically. Well, I think that was the end of season three, but then they bring him out in season four. I don't yeah, I don't remember. Which was if the was US a... season that tanked the series. Oh. I liked all of the seasons. I liked the third season. He he basically has to go through a hundred years of, of reviving, but being buried alive, suffocating. Yeah, D- dying, blah blah blah, like for a hundred years, and finally they dig him up because like, well, he should be over here. They dig him up, and he's like, <gasps> and he comes back to life. He's like, oh, I've been doing that for a hundred years. Yeah. I thought that was a neat concept. That's basically the vibe I got here. But of course, this, uh, I guess they did it first here. Does he still have those powers, Captain Jack Harkness? Yeah, because we meet him again. In, he does. In but- the, the Lady Doctor, uh, the last season of Doctor Who. Yeah, at the end of the U.S. season, he's hanging out with the, I can't remember his name, the cop guy, uh, and there's like a blood transfusion or some other type of a transition. Uh, I know tra- the, transfusion. Cop, the cop gets his powers. Right. But does he, I thought he lost his powers, but I guess not. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, I think I he just, still has his when powers. He sh- I don't, does he ever die in the Doctor Who uh, when he comes back? And, uh, uh in the last season? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. So I don't know if he has the, his powers still or not. When when that season of Torchwood ended, I was under the impression that he didn't. But I could be wrong. I don't remember. Captain Britain has to fight... Um... This is essentially the, the robot that the professor created um, who has the powers of a cosmic being, Herald of Galactus... He's got these cool fiery wings. Kind of looks like that destroyer guy from the Thor movie. Yes. And this is the Eric Larson art. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I thought this art was fine, even though you know I'm generally not much of an Eric Larson fan. Um, I, I was I was digging this. This is fine. He, they fight, whatever. Uh, but then probably the best story, in my opinion, is this looks like Rick Leonardi to me. Um, is Maybe. Lockheed. There's like some members of the uh, Weirdness Happenings organization who know that Excalibur are out on this mission and uh, they're like, hey, let's let's get in there and see if we can find some artifacts. So this is Lockheed's time to to cause some shenanigans. And it's very fun. If we're going through the order that they presented in this webpage that I'm looking at, this is James Fry. Okay, yeah. But I'm not familiar there's- with James Fry, so I don't know. 
the first panel strikes of Rick Leonardi, but as I'm going through the rest of the panels, like the humans don't look like Rick Leonardi. So maybe this is James Fry. Um, yeah, this is a fun little, this is probably the most fun where Lockheed is just trying to convince these two people that are part of the uh, who organization that this house, the lighthouse is haunted. Right. And he, he does so by like pretending to be a statue and then biting one in the butt it's a big chomp panel, and then he sneaks into Captain Britain's closet and steals one of his outfits and has it running down the stairs, followed by flames, which is a cool uh, shot draw- drawing. Then Excalibur shows up and says, oh, what happened to my... Uh, somebody was in my closet. There's a, there's a bit of convolution about how Captain Britain defeats the heir apparent android. I guess he... He had to destroy the universe so that the universe wouldn't be destroyed. I don't know. Whatever. I don't know either, but after the, the cute battle with Lockheed and, and uh, the Who people, they all show up. Um, I don't know. They tell a joke. They're home. And they issue ends. <laughs> I don't know. It, it it was a fun read, but like I said, it's there's really nothing of consequence that happens within uh, the issue. I just thought it was fun to follow each individual character as they did things that related to their powers. I agree that it was fun to follow the characters, like you said. Um, but the convolution of everything was too much for me. Was well, I wasn't it? really paying attention to, <laughs> to the overall story. Maybe was, that's what you need to do, yeah. Yeah. Because when it got to the end, I was like, wait, how did what happened? How did this all get resolved? Because, <laughs> uh, again, I was just kind of like into the individual stories and not really paying attention to the overall narrative. Oh, it was a neat idea to come up with, like, five things for the five different people to do. And then you end with a fun little uh, story with Lockheed. Yeah. But yeah, if, if it was just, uh, yeah. It's, so you, you took it the right way, which is just to ignore all the convoluted mess of the actual, like why it doesn't make any sense and just enjoy it for what it was. So good for you. <laughs> hey, I did it. <laughs> so, um, I had a letter that I was going to cover. It wasn't actually, well, it wasn't actually a letter. It was a Facebook message uh, from Jordan R- Rannells. And this is actually from June 16th. He says he calls back to episode number 240 at the one hour, 13 minute and 25 second mark where I say gasp, Adam, do you think the next phase of Avengers could be a Kang story? Oh. And that was from 2019. And so he thought that uh, I should let everybody know that I called it. <laughs> so here I am letting everybody know that I called it. Little did you know that the actor who played Kang would uh, become an abuser and dropped from all Marvel projects. And so now you were right, but you were wrong. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, what is he an abuser of? Because I haven't really been following. Like, he was there. I guess he, he was accused of spouse abusal. Oh. Uh, and, and Marvel dropped him from all f- going forward projects. So I don't know if they've dropped Kang. To, uh, to his credit, he was, he was great as Kang. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, if you're a spouse abuser... <laughs> Yeah, he can't let that slide. Um, yeah. But, I mean, Kang is a, a, a multi, uh, 
multiversal characters. So they yeah, they already established that all of the different versions of him were played by this guy. I mean, sure, they can explain it away. Yeah. But they already showed, like, a council of hundreds of Kangs, and they were all played by this one actor. What they need to do, or what they could do, is they could just go back to that scene in an in, in upcoming marvel movie and have them basically doing whatever they were doing because i'm not i don't recall that scene and then you have the real king who's a completely different person burst in and destroy all of those kings (laughs) i mean they gotta do something (laughs) and then boom you've you've vindicated or or you've you've given that guy his comeuppance uh and although i guess you'd probably have to pay him and that wouldn't be very good but but anyways whatever the moral of the story is treat humans well <laughs> yeah don't don't beat your wife your children your dogs like let's just just, just be good there's no reason you know i know i know other humans suck but if everybody was just nicer to each other maybe everybody wouldn't suck so much i so let's all try to just respect other humans respect animals just respect other beings i guess we're all the same didn't be excellent to each other. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so there, that's just, uh, that, that's been sitting in my Facebook inbox for a while and I wanted to trot it out. But anyways, if you'd like to get in contact with us, let us know what's going on. You can do so by visiting www.xmenpodcast.com. Uh, going out to facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast, Twittering us at danger room go. Uh, do we need to, transplant twitter for thread is that a thing i don't know whatever well i don't even know what you just use words what <laughs> you don't know what threads is that's that's facebook's or meta meta's answer to twitter oh man you you've been you're behind the times what, what's the trump twitter thou um i don't remember is that still truth, a thing truth 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 america truth truth something truth about social. Truth, yeah. truth social truth, truth social yeah, we, that's should that's we be still, on Truth Social? I don't, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I don't, I don't think so. So maybe we need to stay off Threads. I, I don't know because it feels like, like I, I've never heard of Threads. So well, it's uh, it looks exactly like Twitter, um, and I don't think it has algorithms yet. Although I'm sure it's just a matter of time before. The exact same stuff that happens on Facebook and Twitter and probably Truth Social happens on Threads or Thread yeah. or whatever it's called. Anyways, uh, Which is, goes back to what I was saying. Just everybody just treat other humans with respect. Anonymity is not a superpower. It, no. it, you know, it doesn't matter. Just you talk, you, at the other end of your anonymity is another anonymity wow that is a hard word to say when you're live are you having Um, a stroke adam maybe i mean i I always feel like i'm having a stroke when i do the podcast you're of that age it's 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 that age that age is showing you know this is like i've said it before but this podcast is the chronicling of our minds going ah yeah sure but if uh if it was me and i wanted to reach me uh i'd use the tried and true method of tried and true oh my god now i'm having a stroke see see yeah we're just getting Uh, old 
just email us dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com super easy um or i'll go out to itunes or wherever you subscribe to podcasts subscribe leave feedback stars whatever uh, if you want to hear some additional content uh you know we've got a patreon in which we're right now covering uh what's it called uh, x-men forever x-men X- forever the chris yeah, the- claremont what if chris claremont series um chronicling what would have happened if chris claremont would have continued writing x-men or so they say uh, it's a very different story will we ever get tired of explaining what it is <laughs> uh, probably not i've already we've already gotten some feedback from some folks saying this series is terrible and so, I, I tend to disagree <laughs> maybe i'm giving it too much uh benefit of the doubt but i'm like you know what if you if you don't treat this as a continuation of what Claire's claremont would have done in the 90s uh it's not bad yeah but it's, it's interesting um i spoilers i guess if i can remember this um i'll, I'll want to talk a little bit about uh star trek deep space nine because i've been uh as I've been promising for probably the last 10 years, I'm actually working my way through it uh, and I've got, I've got things to say about it. Oh man. I'm, I haven't watched it in a while, so I'm curious to hear what you have to say and whether or not I actually remember it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. Uh, the Patreon address, by the way, is patreon.com forward slash danger room in case I forgot to give that out. So there you go. Word. Adam, do you have anything else? No, no, I'm good. Me neither. So until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed. Danger room.